Red Rocks Church. How we doing? Hey, let's keep our applause going as we welcome Lakewood, Littleton, Arvada, Brussels, Belgium, and those of you in Texas. Come on, you can do better than that because we're going to also welcome everybody at God Behind Bars. We love you guys so much. It's going to be too fun this weekend, too fun. How many of you were here last weekend? Raise of hands, raise of hands. Good amount of you. Was last weekend not absolutely amazing? I was just blown away. It's one of the best messages I've heard on Breakthrough, and in particular, um, it, it was kind of a catalyst for me in my own life for some areas that I think that God's been trying to get some breakthrough across, um, really since the time I was very, very, very young. And this weekend, I'd kind of like to continue the conversation, and if I can, let you into a little bit of my mess, a little bit of my dysfunction. Um, I've heard it said that if you preach from your weakness, you'll never run out of materials. And so I, I want to preach from my weakness this weekend, something that really has been plaguing my life for a really long time. Um, when Sean gave these cards out to everybody and said, would you write one word on this that you're, you, just, you just need breakthrough on. You've, maybe you've been struggling with this for a really long time. It, it took me a split second to write down the word insecurity. It's been something that my whole life has just crippled me. It's been like a prison. And when I started thinking through this, I, I, I wrote down really quickly, but then I started to consider as he was preaching, how much, how much time and intentionality have I really put into getting breakthrough in this area? Like, I know that this has been something that has plagued my life for a really long time. I can remember just crippling moments of insecurity, but how much effort have I really put into trying to find breakthrough and find freedom? Insecurity for me has been one of those crippling points. And actually, just a few weekends ago, um, I preached on the topic of forgiveness. And for me, it was one of those messages that I just felt burning in my heart. But honestly, I didn't really want to preach it. I knew that it was gonna be one of those sermons that I would have to kind of tiptoe around some of my words. I'd have to be really, really, really considerate of a lot of the things that a lot of our church members have gone through. Forgiveness for many people isn't something that we want to consider, we want to think about because it's just messy. It's, it kind of is right there in the kitchen with all the dirty dishes. And I knew that if I was gonna go there, most of you wouldn't really want me to go into there. And so honestly, I was, I was kind of skeptical at the weekend. I was kind of playing mind games. I'd never prepped more, prayed more, read more, studied more, considered conversations with other people more than that weekend in particular. I also had an unwavering understanding that this is exactly what God wanted me to preach on. And so I, I took the stage and I, I preached on forgiveness and you could just hear a pin drop. I knew that God was maybe speaking to you guys or maybe I was completely dropping the ball. Sometimes you just don't really know. And so I'm preaching and I get off the stage and I did something that I, I have kind of trained myself never to do. And I went upstairs and, and I just was kind of praying, like, God, would you speak to people or would you drive this, this, this sermon home? Would you help people to forgive? God, help this be meaningful. Do it only you can do. And then I grabbed my cell phone. I started looking at social media. You just never do that. You never want to do that. Never want to read comments. Never want to read feedbacks, especially right after you just got off the stage. And so I, I get to my phone and I, I get this message on my phone. Someone took the time to write a very long message to me right after one of the messages about how I had missed the mark, how I did not know really what forgiveness was all about because I didn't know her situation. And 
and our stance on forgiveness was just illogical. And clearly I had been sheltered and I had never had to go through anything as traumatic as most of the people. And she spoke to the exact same thing that I was so insecure to speak on. I didn't want to step on people's toes. I wanted them to see the forgiveness of Jesus and invite them into the freedom that's found in forgiveness. Yet I found myself, a grown man, crumbled by an Instagram message from a young girl. She doesn't know me. She didn't know my prep. We never had had a conversation, and I was crippled. It, it, it crushed me, and I started crying up in the office, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I'm like throwing my phone down, and, and I was supposed to preach at Arvada the next day, and I sent a text message to Jordan McCaslin. Shout out, Arvada campus, Jordan McCaslin. What a stud. And I just said, bro, I'm not gonna be able to make it tomorrow. I'm serious. I, I leave the campus. I go home. I throw on what I call what I, my, just my stretchy pants. They're just sweatpants. And I lay on the couch. Come on, anybody wear stretchy pants? Come on, I love my church. So I, I lay down on the couch, and I, I'm, just, I'm just playing the worst of mind games. And I'm literally saying things like, man, I, just, I shouldn't ever preach again. Like, I'm just, I just in my wrong lane. I just can't, like, it took me forever to write that, and then I, I'm still offending people, and, and it just, I just, it's so in my head. I'm like, I'm not going to Arvada tomorrow. I'm going to send my two-week resignation in. Like, I'm done. And I'm sitting there going, my goodness. Like, I, I had great conviction going out onto this stage, knowing I was going to preach exactly what I was supposed to preach on. I knew that what I was preaching on wasn't a soapbox issue, but this was a Jesus issue. And I knew that I was preaching straight from scriptures, and I felt like I had God's heart. And then in one moment, one person that didn't know me, one person that never took the time to get to know me, and I didn't know their story, it just ripped me to pieces. And I sat there going, surely this can't be the way that it's going to be the rest of my life. Surely, my confidence can't be so fragile that I need to spend all my time protecting my own heart. Surely, surely this can't be the way that I'm going to live the rest of my life. But for most of us, that's exactly how insecurity is. For me, the trigger for my insecurity is criticism. Most of my life, I've gotten a lot of confidence from the way that I've been able to hang out with people, and I've been likable, and so, so I, I've learned to kind of lean into that to get a lot of my confidence from that. Like, if I could just get some, some pats on the back, if I can just make a few new friends, if I could just make somebody smile, make somebody like me, like, my confidence is good. But the moment somebody criticizes me, oh my goodness, the walls are crumbling down. For me, criticism is a trigger to my confidence. I don't know about you, if you have some areas in your life that might trigger your insecurity, but all of us have it. All of us know exactly what it's like to be really confident in one moment, and then you move to a different setting in a different scenario, and you're just like, uh, I don't know what to do with my hands. Have you ever been there? You walk into a group of people that are real intimidating, and you're like, hey! Someone asks, how you doing? And you're like, you too! You know, like... You're just awkward. It's just intimidating. Your insecurities come out. It's, it's just, you could be really confident in one setting, and then in the next setting, you're really insecure. And my, I started asking the question, how on earth do I keep my confidence? 
how do I how do I not as a grown man be so frail and so fragile that I'm confident in one moment and then I have no confidence in the next moment? So I started reading and I'm like, if I really want to get breakthrough in this area of insecurity, God, I'm gonna go after it. So I started reading all of these passages on, on confidence, anything that I could, anything that had the word confidence in the Bible, I'm reading and I'm trying to figure out the context and what it means. And I started reading a letter from a man named Paul to a group of Christians in Philippi. And Paul starts talking on confidence and he has a charge for them. And Paul was interesting because if, if anybody could walk around with some confidence and some swagger, it was Paul. His pedigree was off the charts. He came from an amazing family, an amazing lineage. He came from great training and great schools. He had tremendous amount of wealth and prestige throughout the city. Yet at the same time, the Bible tells us that Paul had tremendous hardships and criticism and tribulation. The Bible says he was persecuted physically. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was bit by a poisonous snake, and he was belittled by a girl on Instagram. <laughs> All right, I added that part. Made me feel better. But this guy's been through some stuff, but the Bible projects Paul as this man that had an unshakable, unwavering confidence. And so I started saying, how do I keep my confidence? Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Despite the circumstance, despite the, the situation, how could I keep my confidence into... The church in Philippi, in Philippians 3.3, he said something tremendously profound. He says this, put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in the flesh. Let me just give you a, a little bit of insight. Did you know you can choose where to put your confidence? Confidence is a choice. Some people just go, I'm just not really a confident person. That's not the case. Some people walk into a certain situation and go, I just I'm not, I don't feel very confident right now. That's not what the Bible says. You have an opportunity to place your confidence somewhere. And Paul says, don't put your confidence in the flesh. That word flesh denotes physical, personal possessions. Don't put it there. Physical, personal attributes towards yourself, position, status, achievement. He says, listen, don't, 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 don't just like put half of your confidence there. Like don't, don't supplement your confidence with the flesh, but actually put zero confidence in the flesh. And I started thinking about this because I was going, oh my goodness, in one moment, every single ounce of my confidence had just crumbled. Why on earth would it crumble? Where did I put my confidence? And here's the problem. When you put your confidence in the flesh, if you put it in your work, if you have a couple bad sales months, that will steal your confidence. If you put your confidence in your appearance, you have a couple bad hair days, you start balding, fellas. You start getting those weird ear hairs or a pimple on your neck. I got a pimple on my neck right now. That's why I just said that. I feel so insecure about it. <laughs> if you put it in your appearance, when you start having bad appearance 
Or maybe you stand next to your senior pastor, Sean, and you realize he's got cooler shoes than you. That will steal your confidence. If you put it in social media, you have a bad post, a bad day of likes, a bad day of followers. You don't get enough followers. It will steal your confidence. If you put your confidence in your success, whatever your appearance of success is, the moment that that seems to be threatened, it will steal your confidence. If you put your confidence into approval and praise from other people, that's me. When you get criticized, it will steal your confidence. When you get an Instagram message from a girl, it will steal your confidence. If you put it in your achievements, if you have any sort of failure or setbacks, or even some of you, the appearance, like the, the possibility of a setback, you're gonna go, no, 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 that's not me, I'm not even gonna try that. It will steal your confidence. If any of you have ever put your confidence in wealth, a quick change of a market will steal your confidence. If you're taking notes, would you write this down? Misplaced confidence will always expose insecurities. I'm gonna say that again. Misplaced confidence will always expose insecurities. And the funny thing about insecurities is insecurity is our soul's response to our confidence being placed in the wrong things. So as I started considering introspectively how on earth do I manage these insecurities? How on earth do I live in a, in, a, in a season of confidence? What do I have to do? What do I have to overcome? God, what do I have to change in my mentality? Because historically, when insecurity would pop up, I would kind of like rebuke myself. You ever been there? Your internal dialogue? Something happens and you're like, gosh, why are you doing that? Why do you let that get to you? Like, why does that bother you so much? How come that person can get on your skin? Gosh, why do I crumble when I'm in groups like that? I can't even talk. I can't even be normal. I have a good sense of humor, but it doesn't come out. I feel so dumb in situations like this. I feel so unqualified when I'm by that mom because she's super mom. Come on, insecurity just rears its ugly head. How on earth... Do we live in confidence? And it's not necessarily through rebuking yourself. What I started to realize as I was reading through scriptures is that insecurity is not my enemy. Insecurity is actually a weapon. And I, I want to prove to you through scripture why I'm saying what I'm saying. But I promise you, your insecurity is not your problem. It is not our job to rebuke or to, to belittle our insecurity. Watch what the Bible says. The Bible has an interesting story in Mark chapter 4. Just to give you some context, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, the guys that he does life with, the guys that have publicly said, Jesus, we want to follow you. Would you be our rabbi, our teacher, our trainer, our leader? And so Jesus is with these guys. And Mark 4 verse 35 starts this way. And I wanted to start with three words. It says, on that Day. Lean to your neighbor and tell him that day, that day, on that day. This is an interesting day and everything in scripture has meaning and purpose. There's a reason why the words are there, why the author chose to say the things that he did. And he says on that day, leading into the story, why on earth would he put so much effort to let us know on that day? 
You see, just for context, that day, Jesus had just spent his entire day teaching people. There was crowds of people, so much so that Jesus had to sit in a boat and teach them. And so all day long, the disciples are there, and they have this front row seat to Jesus and his teachings. Can I join you on front row? They're sitting front row with Jesus, and they're sitting there hearing Jesus talk about faith. They're hearing Jesus talk about hope. They're hearing Jesus talk about what it looks like to live in the kingdom and to be a follower of Jesus. And I mean, they're right there. They're like getting spit on. They can hear him like they're the closest to him. They're the only ones on the boat with him, and they're hearing him talk about faith. And the Bible says it was on that day that this story starts. What's interesting is that Jesus has just spent this entire day with these guys, preaching and teaching, teaching lessons. They're sitting there, both sides, closest to him. And what we're about to read is the fact that these guys were sitting on the front row. They're the note takers. They got their Bibles out. I'm kidding, they didn't have their Bibles out. But they're, they're, they're ready, they're leaning into what Jesus is saying, but what they realize a little bit later is that the lessons that Jesus was trying to teach them from the front row didn't necessarily internalize. In just a moment, they're about to be confronted with the fact that the lessons that Jesus was teaching didn't really take root in their life. I wonder, do we ever just sit front row? Not really letting the teachings of Jesus take root because here these guys are. What they're about to find out the hard way is that they've been listening to Jesus all day long. They've been hearing him teach all day long. But there's just sometimes, there's just something about struggle that sometimes can teach better than a sermon. Have you ever noticed that life will preach to you if you listen to it? Have you ever also noticed that sometimes if you don't listen to it, it'll preach a little bit louder? These guys were about to learn a lesson that life had to teach to them. No sermon was gonna teach to them. Here they are, Jesus' boys, his fellas, his ride or die crew. And they're about to be confronted with an issue of insecurity. What they believed was about to be shaken. And it was on that day, the day they sat front row, the day they were closest to Jesus, hearing him teach, hearing the teacher teach on what it means to be a Christ follower. And so to continue on, it says in verse 35, it says, on that day, when evening came, the whole day's gone, Jesus had just been teaching says, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go across to the other side of the lake. Now get ready, because we're about to read a story about the disciples being shaken internally, truly insecure, unstable. And it happens on the tale of Jesus going, hey, let's, let's go somewhere new. Have you ever noticed that sometimes going into a new direction, saying yes to a new opportunity, stepping into a new role, becoming a parent for the first time, becoming a a boss for the first time, becoming a Christ follower for the first time, like it just brings insecurity out of you. Like saying yes to Jesus isn't necessarily the safe route. Like there's something intimidating about it and Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side. Like, let's let's go across this lake. Let's go into a new direction. And in verse 36, it says, so after leaving the crowd, they took him along. Notice what he says, just as he was in the boat and the other boats were with him. When I was reading that, I was going, just as he was. 
So the disciples call Jesus into the boat. They tell him, you don't have to shower, you don't have to shave, you don't have to use perfume or cologne, like you don't gotta clean, you don't gotta go eat a meal, like just as he was, is that what this is meaning? And that's not what it's meaning at all. When the Bible says just as he was, it says that because Jesus was already in the boat. He had been there the entirety of the day. And right now that might not make too much sense to us, but as we read the verses that follow, it's gonna make a lot of sense. Jesus was already in the boat when the disciples set out on this journey. For some of us, I'm gonna tell you in a few minutes, we're gonna see from scriptures that maybe one of the most therapeutic things for your soul as it relates to your own confidence is please remember he's in the boat with you. We can celebrate that. He's in the boat with you. And you're going, I don't know the story. Let's keep reading because it's gonna be important. Jesus is in the boat with him. Sometimes, a lot of the times, a byproduct of our insecurity is just the fact that we don't really know that he's with us in the boat. He's with us in our story. In verse 37, it says, now a great windstorm developed. The plot thickens. They jump in the boat and head across the lake and just so happens that a great windstorm develops, ironically. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was nearly swamped. Lean to your neighbor and say swamped. Just because we'll probably never have an opportunity to do that again. <laughs> swamped. So Jesus sets out. They're on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee. And here's something that's interesting about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is actually a, a body of water in a depression. In a, in a part of the earth that is sunken in. The, the sea actually sits 700 feet below sea level. It's interesting because we measure sea level because in most places of the world, sea level is the place where the rest of the water settles and rests. So Jesus is taking these men on the Sea of Galilee in a depression, in a low spot, in a place that seems to be below the measuring stick, below the standard, below what is normal. Have you ever noticed that your insecurities, those are the places that they come out, in the place where you feel below the standard. You look on social media and you are below the standard. You look at your sales numbers from the month and you are below the standard. You see the person sitting next to you and they're good looking and you say, I am below the standard. Oftentimes it's in that place of insecurity where you seem to be traveling below the standard that insecurity will come into your life the most. And Jesus decides to take these men on a very purpose-filled journey across a place where they are below the standard. And he says this in verse 38, the Bible says, but he was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The waves are crashing upon the boat. There's a great windstorm. The boat is nearly swamped and Jesus is in the stern sleeping on a cushion. 
Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Like, lean into this story. This isn't make-believe. This is a story from scriptures. It is truth. He's sleeping on a cushion. And the Bible says that the disciples come up to him and they woke him up and they said, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? Like, put yourself in the moment. The waves are crashing and the wind is blowing and they don't have, they're not sitting under a cabin. Like this, they're in the elements. They're traveling and just out of nowhere. Insecurity hits them. They don't really know what's going to happen. God, we don't feel safe. Do you even care? And he's sleeping on a cushion. It's like me. I was reading that Instagram message and I'm like, God, where are you? You're sleeping on a cushion when I'm dying here, right? Insecurity at its finest. They have been shaken. They are fearing for their very lives. Ever notice that you're good in the boat with Jesus? But then a little bit of conflict comes in and you question everything. Have you ever noticed when you're sitting front row in church, you're watching online, you're good with Jesus, your faith is fired up, you're ready to go, charge the hill, the best is yet to come. And then you leave and you face a little bit of conflict. You face a little bit of opposition. And you wonder, do you even care, God? Like this is insecurity at its finest. This is like what our soul is like. Like there's just something about feeling like you're under siege. Like there's something about feeling like you're in conflict and in opposition that you start going, God, where are you? You should be, you should be deflecting conflict because I'm your kid. Like I shouldn't be going through this because I'm your kid. Like I love you, remember? Like, that's when insecurity is heightened the most. Like, what, where is it? Why am I going through the struggle? Sometimes God allows us to go through the struggle because it's only in the struggle that you will learn the lessons he's wanting you to live. They've been front row all day long taking notes. Jesus, that's good. Come on, preacher, preach that. That's good. They need to hear that, Jesus. I know that guy. And then they get into the storm, they get into the sea, they face a little bit of opposition, and then they start questioning anything. Jesus, do you even care? I'm telling you, life will preach to you, and oftentimes it will preach to you in the language of your insecurity. Some of us have been trying to quiet and suppress and repress and reject our insecurities. But we're going to find out in just a moment that it was actually Jesus was trying to stir up their insecurities. He was trying to get them all, all disheveled. He was, he was trying to let the struggle reveal an issue with their confidence. And look what the Bible continues to say. It says, so he got up. Thank you, Jesus, for getting up. And it says, he rebuked the wind. I was reading some commentaries on that statement. He rebuked the wind. And it actually has, has connotations of threat. Like Jesus got up and he was like, cut it out or else. <laughs> he rebukes the wind. 
Jesus rebukes the wind. Jesus has the ability to rebuke the wind. It says he rebukes the wind and then he said to the sea, like he's like, you stop. And then you, you parents, you've been there. You're like, you cut it out and you cut it. I'm separating you. And that's what Jesus is like. He's like, he's like, he rebukes the wind. And then he said to the sea, be quiet and calm down. Be quiet. You're going to be in a timeout. <laughs> and then it says, then the wind stopped. And it was dead calm. Some commentaries say that the language that was used tried to communicate that it was though the the sea was dead. There was no life in it. It's like the the, the sea was like, like, yes, yes, sir. Attention. Yes, sir. The sea was dead calm. Jesus rebuked the situation and then Watch what he does next. It says in verse 40, and then he said to them, who's them? The disciples, the one who had been sitting in the front row, the one who had been with Jesus the most. They've heard him teach. They've heard him preach. They've seen his miracles. He said to them, why are you cowardly? Another translation says, why do you lack confidence? Another one says, why do you fear He says, do you still, still, still not have faith? Like you heard me preach. You've seen me do some stuff. Like like I've proven to you that I am who I say I am. Do you still not have faith? Put yourself in the scene. He just yells and disciplines the waters. It, It pipes up. It quiets. It's like glass. And then he looks at the people in his life and he says, why are you so cowardly? Friends, in this moment, Jesus just pulled the ultimate teacher card. He used life itself to teach a lesson that he knew that they hadn't quite yet grasped. And notice he used their insecurity to teach it. Watch this, watch this, because I'm telling you, insecurity is a weapon. I've been learning over the last few weeks where I've just been pouring the scriptures over me not to shun my insecurity. My insecurity is a weapon, and I can use it against the enemy because what it's ultimately doing is it's showing in my soul misappropriated confidence. Some of you, in your greatest moments of insecurities, it shouldn't cause you to question yourself. It shouldn't cause you to rebuke yourself. The Bible says Jesus rebuked the sea, and then he asked his followers, why are you so cowardly? And I wonder if for a moment we could just quiet your insecurity. You're in the boat with Jesus. You're safe here. I wonder if next time your insecurity peeks its head up, I wonder what would happen if you didn't try to rebuke it and and cast away your insecurity, but you just said, oh my goodness, like I'm going to learn from my insecurity. I'm actually going to use it to, to, to redirect 
my confidence again and put it in the right place. Jesus was trying to show them, listen, like you, you think that you know me. You've been sitting both sides. You heard some preaching and some teaching. You've seen some stuff. Like I've been faithful. I've gotten you through some stuff. But why are you so cowardly? Like do you still after all of this have no faith for your lives? Like what is wind in comparison to me? Like re remember who invited the disciples onto this journey? It was Jesus. Like who has the ability to create wind and wave and control situations? Who has that kind of authority? It's Jesus. Some of us have been rebuking our situations and our insecurities going just, ah, get behind me, Satan. Like be gone, I shouldn't be going through this. And Jesus is going, no, 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 lean in, lean in. Your insecurity is your weapon. I wanna teach you to redirect your confidence. Place no confidence in self. No confidence in the flesh. Like, don't, don't buy any of the stock because you're not going to get any return. Don't put anything in it. Don't put anything in it. If you want to keep your confidence, ask your insecurity where you squandered it. Your insecurity is going to tell you a lot. Life will preach to you if you listen to it. Your insecurity will preach to you if you listen to it. I promise you, friends, that it is a weapon. If we can just learn to handle it. Verse 41. The disciples are going to teach us a lot. It says that they were overwhelmed by fear. Overwhelmed by fear. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by the Lord? At a little bit of opposition, a little bit of struggle, they were overwhelmed, overcome with fear. And then they said to one another, who is this? Like, think about this. They said, who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Like, these are Jesus's dudes. Like they, they spend time with Jesus. They take him everywhere. They've been in the boat with him. They've seen miracles. Like they're gonna have front row access to everything Jesus is doing. And they lean over to each other and they said, who is this? Who is this? Like in the face of some of your insecurities, could you remember who is he? Because somewhere, You've allowed your situation, or you've allowed your shortcomings, or you've allowed your struggle, you've allowed your pain, you've allowed what others have said to you to overcome who God is. And I wonder if you need to ask yourself, God, who really are you? Like the disciples knew Jesus as healer. They knew him as friend. They knew him as counselor. Like they, they, they knew him as, as somebody that would never leave them or forsake them. But somewhere along the lines, they didn't see him as having complete authority. 
You see, the Bible tells us that when Christians become Christians, like the gateway was Jesus. He made it happen. But the Bible says that if you could just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. That word Lord speaks to power and to authority. And so I don't know if you knew this, but for those of you that are Christians, when you said, Jesus, I'm all in, like I wanna be about what you're about. You said, Jesus, you are Lord over everything. You have all power and you have all authority over my life. No situation in my life is too far from you. There is no pain I'm going through that you don't know about. When you say you are Lord, you're saying you have all power and all authority in my life. Nothing is hidden from your face. Nothing is too far from you. Nothing is too big for you, Father God. You are Lord and you have all authority. The root word for that word authority is author. The disciples knew Jesus' power but they didn't see him as author. See, the Bible says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Like an author, they're the ones writing the story. Like at the beginning of time, our author picked all the characters. Our author, he picked the giftings of all the characters, all the people that would be in his story. Like he, he ordained and orchestrated even all of your struggles. Nothing is hidden from him. He knew what you would go through. He knew who you would become. He wrote your story and he's continuing to write the story. And one of the most beautiful things about seeing God as your author is that in his story, he picked you. One of the most freeing things for me as of reason is knowing that he picked me. So when I walk into a room where I feel like I don't belong, I'm like, he picked me for this. A kid who's been a CD student his whole life, never knew what he wanted to become, always felt dumb, finds himself on a stage teaching. I go, he picked me. I didn't pick me. I didn't qualify myself, he picked me. I wonder if in some of your situations you need to remember he's the author, he's writing this grand narrative and he picked you for it. He didn't leave anything out of you so there's nothing to be insecure about. He's going, no, 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 let insecurity reveal to you that you have misappropriated your confidence. Some of you are walking throughout life going, I just lack confidence. It's not that you lack confidence, it's that you put it in the wrong things. And I want to encourage you, when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, we say, Jesus, you have all power and you have ultimate authority in my life. Nothing is hidden from you. And where I'm weak, your power and your strength is perfected there. At all of our locations, if you are able, would you stand to your feet and let's give God a great celebration for the confidence that he has provided to us. The Bible says in Philippians 1, 6, 
It says, being confident of this. This is Paul speaking. Like, don't put any confidence in the flesh, but being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion. When I was studying this, listen to this. When I was studying this, the Sea of Galilee is seven miles wide. The number seven in scripture is symbolic for completion. Jesus took these men where they were below the standard. He took them on a journey that was seven miles. The symbol of completion. And I want to encourage some of you in the middle of your journey right now when the wind and the waves are crashing, don't forget for a moment that he will see it through to completion. You never have to doubt. You never have to worry. You never have to second guess. But your confidence is in his ability to bring it through to completion. And with every head bow and every eye closed, Lord, I want to pray for these people. God, who are just like me, we're just riddled with insecurity. We don't know how to get free from it. God, I just pray in the face of insecurity, would they use it as a weapon? God, that when the enemy wants to show them how unqualified and weak and little they are, God, we would lean into it. We'd go, yes, I know, but I'm with the Lord. And in every area that I'm weak, he is strong. Our insecurity can be a weapon, God because it reveals where we have misplaced our confidence. And today, God, we wanna place our confidence in you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Right now in this moment at all of our locations, I wanna pray for those of you that you, you go, I just, I don't know God in that way. Maybe you've been sitting both side. Maybe you've been coming to church and you've been hearing messages, but you go, man, I, I knew that God was powerful. I knew he was a good God, but I just, I haven't seen him as Lord of my life. I want to pray for those of you that have never made Jesus Christ the Lord. The Bible says that if we would just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we would believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead that we will be saved if that's you in this place and you have never made that declaration you have never made Jesus Lord on the count of three I just want to invite you to raise your hand it's just a sign of faith it's just a sign for me to know who I'm praying for and then we want to be able to celebrate you together as a family on the count of three would you raise your hand if you would like me to include you in this prayer one Jesus loves you so much two he wants to be the Lord and the Savior of your life three the Bible says that today is the day of salvation would you raise your hand at all locations at all locations God I just pray right now in this moment Lord that you would show these individuals that are moving from death to life that are moving from coward to having an understanding of your lordship and power in their life would you change something in them today God, would you mark them? The Bible says that we become a new creation, that the things of old, that our sins, our burdens, our shame, you remember them no more. And so God, in this moment, God, as a church family, even now we celebrate those that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And God, I just pray, would you teach us to use insecurity as a weapon? In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody at Red Rocks Church said, amen. Come on, let's worship.